0: Okay, how are you all? Good. Do you want to like stand up and like like wave your arms a, a bit and kind of you know jiggle your feet and um, just kind of like wake up a little bit? That would be good. And uh, turn around three times and touch your toes, you know, and if if you can. <clears throat> and let's do this. Why don't you do this as well? Actually, stay standing up. Why don't you do this? Stay standing up. And why don't we all just pray for a second? Why don't we ask God to come and speak to us? We've been worshipping him. His presence is here. Uh, we've been talking and sharing important family news. But Lord, um, I, just kind of, I want each of us to just pray in our own minds. Come and speak to me now. I'm opening. We're just making our, our hearts and our minds open. Last week Paul was talking and he was encouraging us to really think about some of the challenges we've been looking at in this series particularly. Um, and Lord, I just want to pray that our hearts and our minds are open now to all that you want to say and do. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. We welcome you here again. We welcome your presence here. We, we welcome your kingdom presence here. And we ask you to speak to us, each of us in our own situation challenge us we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So today we are talking about the hope of salvation. And Now the word salvation literally means to save or to rescue, to be rescued from a dire circumstance, to be saved from something that was, is not going well. I don't know if you saw this story in the press about three weeks ago about a guy in Australia who was digging on his land, and his digger uh, fell into the sort of muddy pond. I don't know if you saw this. This guy, Daniel Miller, was 45, and he was driving this three-ton excavator at his remote property in Charlotte Bay, which is north of Sydney. And the banks of the small dam he was working on collapsed, and the vehicle toppled into the mud. That's not such a bad thing, except that Mr Miller was trapped in the mud with the weight of the excavator on his back, and the boggy ground beneath him slowly slipping away. If you look here, you can see him. There's his head. Can you see it? With his nose just above the the water, the mud. And he had to arch his back in a yoga pose in order to keep his nose above the water in order that he could keep breathing. And occasionally get his mouth out so he could yell for help. I had an interview with this guy on the radio. This happened around midday. And because he was so where he lived was so remote, he knew that he wouldn't be missed until at least the school pick up time around three o'clock in the afternoon. He knew that he was supposed to go pick his kids up and if he didn't arrive, then somebody would start to think what's gone on and start to raise the alarm. And so he knew that he was basically going to be there at least three hours, if not more. He then said he said, and if that doesn't work, my daughter will need picking up at five or six o'clock and they'll definitely miss me by then. Right, so there he is in the water, basically just surviving and staying alive and every now and then shouting out for help. Um, and he said around, it was around three o'clock or so that his neighbor drove past and he was able to shout and raise the alarm. He said, I was trapped. I had to keep my head up above the water by using my arms. He said, I guess it was the yoga position that saved my life, that and the will to live. His wife said it was literally sheer mental strength and determination to survive that got him through until the emergency services could come and pull him out. And here are some pictures of what the actual rescue looked like. And there he is, having finally been pulled out of the water. This is a story of salvation. I hope you agree. This guy was helpless. I mean, there was nothing he could have done. Every time he moved... Or tried to move to get himself out. The mud, he, the mud just went, he just kept going down in the mud and the excavator just kept sinking down in the mud on top of him. If nothing or no one had come along in time, that guy would have drowned in the mud. It reminds me of a verse in the Bible, Psalm 40. Do you know Psalm 40? It goes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. It's a picture of what God does for each of us. He lifts us out of a place that we could not literally get ourselves out of and sets my feet on a rock and gives me a firm place to stand and puts a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. This is actually one of my favourite psalms. It's been immortalised at least twice in different songs that I really like. One of them is the song 40 by U2, uh, which if you're an early U2 fan, you'll know because people used to sing it at the end of all their gigs. How long to sing their song Um, and also perhaps even more coolly um, taste for those of you taste makers you'll remember this 1989 hit by van morrison and cliff richard uh called whenever god shines his light on me Uh, you don't remember that no okay fantastic song i mean the, the the decor and the fashions a bit a bit leaves a bit to be desired but um there's a line in that song which i love which is straight out of psalm 40 he'll lift you up he'll turn you around He'll set your feet back on higher ground. And for me, I've always been a believer in God. I can't remember a time when I didn't believe, but I, there have been times in my life when, boy, have I been drifting and floundering and in a bit of a mess. Far from God, lacking direction, making choices that just weren't good choices. And this psalm, this song has a real resonance for me personally. I once had to give my testimony in a small group many years ago, and I played this song and I said, this is the song that describes what God has done for me he shines his light on me he lifts me up he turns me around he sets my feet on solid ground and maybe that describes your your experience too many of you Um, without god's intervention we are helpless and hopeless and floundering and looking for meaning and purpose in our lives and god has answers for that he has answers for that for me i had to make a decision about what kind of story i was going to live in there we go oh i've missed one so sorry my apologies. I had to make a decision about whose story I was going to live in, whether it was my story or whether it's his story. Many of you have faced that choice. Maybe you're facing that choice today. I'm here to tell you that God is a God of rescue and God is a God of transformation and when we reach an arm up to him, he gladly reaches down and starts to pull us out of whatever muddy pit or sticky situation we find ourselves in. He is waiting for that opportunity who knows that to be true in their own life? How many of us have experienced that for ourselves? That's great, and it's not just a one-off deal either. I mean, it's every day we have to make a choice to fully live in the story that God has for us. There's a phrase um, the Roman I've talked about it before, but Romans translates this phrase I'm um, sorry, the message translates the phrase in Romans, "We are to live adventurously expectant." He calls us to live in a different story, a story of hope, a story of love, a story in which we can be rescued from circumstances we would not otherwise have escaped from and a story in which we can start to become fully alive and fulfil the purposes for which we were created. Does that sound like your kind of story? It sounds like the story I want to live. More than anything, I want to do and be all that God has for me. I want to fully live out that story that he's laid out for me. So I'll never tire of that song and I love that psalm. Because he's redeemed my life from the pit and he's transformed and given me purpose for living. And salvation in Bible terms is never, sorry, if you feel that today in some way you are stuck, I'm here to tell you the truth is that God will rescue and can rescue. But salvation in the terms of the Bible is never just about what we've been saved from. It's about what we've been saved for Oh that kind of silence it's never about what we've been just saved from it's about what we've been saved for Psalm 40 says he puts our feet on solid ground so that what what did it say next it said so that many will see and fear him and put their trust in the Lord he offers purpose and meaning for our lives there is a reason for our rescue We are saved to make a difference. In that interview, that Aussie guy, i mean, he was a pretty tough guy, he was quite physically tough, he was quite mentally strong. He did not say, well, I just decided I wasn't going to avoid... What he didn't say in the interview was, I was just scared of a muddy, suffocating death. He didn't say that at all. He said, I thought about my wife, I thought about my young kids, living the rest of their lives without me, finding me dead in a bog, and I decided that that's not going to happen today not at least without a very big fight. I've got a life to live. He was saved not from something, but for something. We are rescued for a reason. We are saved so that we can live a bigger story. That's what we've been reflecting on through this whole series. What is the story that we're living? What is the hope to which we are called? This is the journey we've been on and we're on the fifth one hope of salvation and next week we'll close up with surprise with them hope for the church but in this series we've been attempting to answer the question what is it that christians have what hope do christians have in their future for their future and what I want to do now is just, before I get onto the content of today, I want to summarise kind of where we've got to, because it's been a bit of a journey, and we had a little gap for Duncan to come and share, and Paul spoke last week um, brilliantly. And I just kind of, when I think about the narrative that this book takes us on, that this writer, Tom Wright, uh, takes us on as he goes through the Bible, I mean, for some people, it's, it's a, it, these are really radical ideas. They're quite challenging. Um, I, I've loved it, actually. I've loved studying this. I, for those of you who as an aside for those of you who have uh, read or who know about kind of the theological standpoint from where the vineyard came in the last 30 40 years which was what we call kingdom theology I feel like what Tom Wright does is he goes underneath that digs out a massive great foundation and then just puts in a whole load more solid material from the bible and says you know what you believe well this is some even more and even deeper reasons why you believe this For me, I found it absolutely life-giving. Anyway, to summarise where we've got to with all of this, um, just just a few points. When we look into the future from a Christian perspective, contrary to what many people would think, there is a wonderful and incredible hope for this world. That God's big story, as told through the Bible, is about a loving Father who wants relationships with all people and about the lengths he will go to for that that the world is not doomed but that God will come one day and completely restore and renew his creation which includes all of his people that's us that when he comes back God will judge the world with righteousness and justice he will bring his kingdom rule to bear on this messed up planet that we're in that he promises to come and put things right once and for all that the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead is not just a nice story but a fact of history in the light of overwhelming evidence with earth-shattering consequences. That Jesus' resurrection proves not only God's intention to restore the world, but it proves his ability to restore the world, to reverse the effects of death and decay, a glorious foretaste of the future. We've looked at how, contrary to popular opinion, heaven is not some place in the clouds far, far away But it's an alternative space or parallel dimension where God dwells, which is close enough to overlap with earth at different times and places in history. And in our present lifetime, I stuck this um, video on my Facebook with thanks to Will Law who put me onto it. Um, I'll stick it on the church Facebook again if you haven't seen it. It's a brilliant little cartoon description of heaven and earth from some brilliant guys, um, theologians called The Bible Project. I just grabbed a few um, slides from it. Um, So that Jesus announced, where am I? So sorry, got excited. Um, through uh, Yes, an alternative space, so that, that heaven is close enough to earth so that it overlaps at different times. That the kingdom of heaven, or you could say the kingdom of God, because the phrases are interchangeable in the Bible, represents God's rule and reign over all creation. His power and love and grace manifest in the heart's and lives of his people. That this started in Jesus. This started with Jesus. He announced the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. And he instructed his followers to pray for it. To be more fully realised here on earth. He said your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Every time you pray, pray this. And then that throughout his ministry, Jesus not only preached that message, but demonstrated its reality through works of healing and deliverance and raising people from the dead. We are talking recreation. We are talking restoration. And it doesn't stop there. This story continues that those who follow Jesus are called to do the same. So in the same way as Jesus fills that overlapping space, now the kingdom of heaven breaks out all around him, him and his people. We are called to be carriers of his divine presence the kingdom of heaven on earth, bring us of hope and life into every situation and circumstance. And that when we die, Jesus will not, as in some popular opinions believe, be coming to spirit us away to heaven to escape the world and live for eternity in some faraway galaxy with not a care in the world for what's going on down here. No, 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 that's not the focus. This is the focus, what Jesus is doing here on earth. And that according to the Bible, after a period of peaceful rest, as Jesus comes to complete his mission and here's perhaps something that's a little bit controversial for some we will be physically bodily resurrected that's what Paul talks about in the Bible in the same way Jesus was so that we can live out eternity in this glorious new heaven and this new, this new heaven and earth combined reality so that we can live that out living in resurrection bodies not our present bodies which are ultimately powerless against illness and injury and decay and death but in our future bodies which might look something like our present bodies we don't really know but which are animated by God's energizing breath of new life it's not so much life after death it's life after life after death do you get me now I don't know about you if that baffles you or excites you but it really excites me And if you believe all of this, which I think I pretty much do, then it affects the way that that how we think about this idea of salvation. Because there's a common view among Western Christians that salvation is all about just fixing my relationship with God in the now and then going home to find God and think all about how it's going to be finding peace in the future. And that's the sum total of salvation. That's what many Christians believe and it's what many non-Christians assume that Christians believe. And I don't have time to go into how it is that those ideas have taken shape in our culture. But it doesn't represent the New Testament, the whole of the sense of the New Testament. And it doesn't represent what the early church believed either. We have been saved for a purpose. We have been rescued for a reason. I want to look at three bible passages and I've got them up on here although you might want to look them up in your own bible or on your phone just to check that what I've put here is right and correct because I wouldn't do that sort of thing to you would I but um the first one I want to look at is Romans chapter 8 and verses 19 to there you go not just life after death life after life after death but also as we'll find out about life before death I'll come to that and explain why that means what that means hello I've lost it. Oh, there we go. Right, I want to look at uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 24. Here's the first uh, section I want to read. Because it says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This is Paul writing to the Roman church. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay, And brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. As in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly. As we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. See creation itself is waiting in expectation and longing for an ultimate end time salvation creation itself has been subject to the frustration or another translation says the futility that comes as a result of sin we read in genesis that after the fall the garden of eden now has thorns and thistles and weeds to deal with we read that in the process after the fall the process of childbirth now involves a degree of pain which was never meant to be there it doesn't take a genius to notice that our society is sick that people are physically, emotionally, psychologically and spiritually broken. And that our society and even our, whole, even our planet, physical planet, is groaning under the strain. You know, the stats are really troubling. We could spend all day just looking at stats. I just heard one this week. One in four women aged 16 to 24 have admitted to self-harm, harming themselves. And even more reporting mental health issues. Um, this eminent psychiatrist called Professor Dame Sue Bailey... She said this, the UK, she was advising the government at the end of last year that the UK should brace itself for a tsunami of adults with mental health problems unless urgent action is taken to help today's children. That's a leading psychiatrist and that's just one stat, there are many. We are in need of some kind of salvation, we are in need of some kind of rescue. Society is in need of hope, of meaning and of purpose. The hope and meaning and purpose that God brings and that God's people should be carrying. You know, Paul's looking ahead to this time when even creation's going to be set free. He so, You know, creation is waiting for all of the people to get saved so that then creation itself will be renewed and saved. The Christians Paul's writing to at this time are not necessarily having an easy time of living with their faith. But Paul is saying, Look beyond your current circumstances. Yes, they're messy. But God has a promise of rescue, a picture of freedom, which is not just for one or two individuals to get their relationship with God right and then go off and have a happy, peaceful time in heaven. It's so much more what God wants to do. That's point one. Point two is that in the Bible, the idea of salvation or rescue is very close to the idea of Judgment. And I've talked about judgment before, and I mean, by the word judgment, I don't mean the kind of judgment where everybody's doomed and gloomed. I mean the judgment where God puts things right. God's righteous judgment. These two words belong together. When God saves the earth, he will at the same time be bringing his judgment to bear on the things that are not right. Now, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your life was like before you met Jesus. Maybe your background is one of crime and drugs and violence. Maybe it's one of surviving abuse or working through addictions. Maybe your background is one of dealing with broken relationships and dysfunctional families or loss or grief. Or maybe it's less dramatic than that and you just simply didn't know who Jesus was and didn't understand how you were supposed to fit into the world and what you were called to do. Maybe that's where you are today actually. The Bible says no matter what our background is, we're all dead in our sin until we give our life to Jesus. And when we do, we're saved and rescued from ourselves. And when God saves an individual, it's like he's enacting or exacting his judgment, his righteous, his, the right way of doing things on the spiritual darkness and decay that's been present in someone's life. He overrules the power of death and he makes things right. He makes us new creation and does away with our old self. Tonight, we're going to baptise um, H- Hannah. And... That's what we see in baptism, a symbol of what God does. A symbol and a reality that when the old, the old self dies and the new self comes up. That's what God does with us. And when he does that, he's enacting his judgment on the stuff that we've been living in. Not on us, but on the stuff. And Paul in Athens, in this passage here in Acts, is, uh, is talking to the secular Greeks. And that by the way, they worshipped a whole bunch of different gods. and They didn't really know who God, Paul's God was. And so he challenges their beliefs and he's explaining to them at the same time who God is and the message of Jesus. And he says this, the God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though, and this is crucial as Paul says, he is not far away from any one of us. He's just there if you want to reach out. That's what Paul's saying. He's just there. And then jumping on to verse 31, he has set a day... When he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that's Jesus. He has given proof of this already to everyone by raising this man from the dead. So there will be a day, Paul is telling these Athenians, when God, who is over all of us and all of you and all of your gods, will judge the world with his righteous justice through Jesus. And by raising from the dead, he's already proved that he can do that. See, when God resurrected Jesus from the grave... He was enacting his own judgment on the court that had already decided that they were judging Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like the higher court. You know how if you take something to the court and you don't agree with them, you can take it to a higher court? And maybe if you can provide enough evidence, you know, the higher court will, will overrule. Well, this is like God is the ultimate high court. He's the ultimate just judge. And he will overrule and in this case, he overruled the court that judged Jesus. He said, I've got more, that's wrong. I've got higher power than this. I'm going to put things right. And Jesus comes back to life from the dead. He was overruling the, 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 the earthly powers and he was overruling the spiritual powers. And God demonstrates that again and again in each of our lives. When an individual gives their yes to him, he has the power to overrule our circumstances and put things right in our life and give us a new reason and a purpose for living. So salvation is not about going to heaven. Salvation is about being raised to life in the new heaven and the new earth. When we give our yes to Jesus, that's what we're signing up to. I hope you knew that when you did. And if you haven't made that decision yet, then think about that. We're not just talking about sorting out some eternal destiny here. We're talking about Life in all its fullness. Being raised to life. This is a fundamental truth of the Bible. Certainly we believe this and try and live this out in our church and many others do. And if you're here today and you're in need of God's intervening power in your life, we would love to talk more and we would love to pray for you today. Because we think the best thing anyone can do is to choose to give their yes to Jesus. To invite him into our lives to rescue us from our own pit of despair and give meaning and purpose and value and a reason for living. It says on our, um, on our website, on our mission statement, we want to get to know Jesus better and we want to share his hope and his life with those around us. And today there's an opportunity to do that. And lastly, why are we saved? I just want to look at one, I'm going to miss that bit out. I'm going to look at one more passage and that's in Ephesians chapter 2. Just two, three verses. We are saved, Paul says, for good works. Let's read this together. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word handiwork, it could be translated as his workmanship, We are the products of his creative energy. We are the products of his creativity. You could read that as we are God's product. We are God's fabric. We are God's design. We are God's creativity. We are his brand new building. We are his brand new song. We are his poem. We are his book, his story, his symphony. We are the people through whom God's fresh ordering and reordering of this world can and will take place. When we're fully alive in God, we will reflect fully his creativity in every sphere of our lives. That's what we should be doing. We should be planting gardens and building new things and establishing new teams and creating new communities and Finding new funding streams and writing songs and poems and creating art and drama and dance and rhythm of music. We should be designing new solutions. We should be inventing new crea- uh, equations and inventing new machines and bringing the creativity of the Creator to bear on every aspect of our lives. Sometimes people say Christians are boring and all they do is make everyone else believe their funny ideas. Well, if Christians actually got a grip on why we've been saved and who we really are, then, and we actually started to act on that, then the world around us will and does come alive as we make new things happen. New possibilities, new dreams, sharing love and hope and joy. Our, God, our good works don't save us, that's what that says. We're saved by God's grace. These good works that we do, that isn't what saves us. We're saved anyway, but we're saved to do these good works, to do for a purpose, to make a difference. Does that make sense? Last week Paul, um, talked not the Apostle Paul, but little Paul here. I say it because he usually sits around here, but you know what I mean. Sorry Katie. <laughs> <coughs> He's a big man in the kingdom. Um, last week Paul talked about the second coming of Jesus and how sometimes, some of that, sometimes that subject serves up a bit of fear around us. There's a popular slogan from the USA. I don't know if, this is, if you've seen this before, but it sums it up for many. I don't know if you've seen that on a bumper sticker or anything like that. Um, you know, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> the truth is, we aren't supposed to look busy as if we're trying to impress the boss or something like I've told you about my fitness classes I do you know every now and then you know you get told to do these things and I I bet you I don't know if it's just me but there are some of us and we're doing our exercises and then when the when the uh, class leader turns and walks our way we start doing them more (laughs) do you know what I mean and it's not that we're not doing them but we're just not quite putting as much effort in because we're tired is it just me or is uh, it never mind let's not go there Um, we are we're not meant to just impress the boss but we are meant to be active not because of some guilt trip, not because we had to prove ourselves, not because we have to earn our salvation, but because following Jesus is the only way to live in a fully human way. It's the, it, the way that means living to worship God and looking beyond ourselves and sharing his hope and life and creativity. That's what we're called to do. We're called to do it in our work life, in our day to day. Now a few of you at different times have got up and shared your stories about what you do when we talk about this time tomorrow. you know I know that amongst us, and I won't get this right, but I tried to make a list of everything I could think of, of people I know in the church. And I won't capture everybody, but I know that we have surgeons and doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals here. I know we have social workers and carers and teachers and lecturers and youth workers and all of those who work in education. I know we have businessmen and entrepreneurs and salesmen. We have managers and trainers and chief executives and public officials and administration and finance experts. We have builders and carpenters and plumbers and electricians and joiners. We have uh, our leadership coaches and mentors and, build and architects and consultants and engineers and IT programmers and graphic and web designers and parents and carers. Who are raising the next generation? We have students and apprentices and school students and trainees. We have chaplains and community builders and networkers. We even have pastors and leaders and church planters among us. You know? And whatever sector that we are in, God has purposes for us to be fulfilled, good works to do to reflect His society in which we can make a difference. We have been saved for a purpose, created, no, rescued for a reason. Maybe it's our family as husbands or wives or sons or daughters, mums or dads, aunties or uncles, godparents, family, friends. What does it look like to fully live out God's purposes in all of these relationships that we're in? To fully express his kingdom. As a church community, many of us are involved in small groups and teams and activities, life groups. There's a reason we call our life groups life groups. A guy called Leslie Newbegin said of the church church, The local church is a signpost, a foretaste, and an instrument of the kingdom of God. So whatever you do, whether it's in this community or in your community or wherever you are, we're called to live this thing out. Christian Aid have a slogan. We believe in life before death. Salvation is not just about life after death. Biblically, it's about life after life after death. And it's also very, very much about life before death. And the question today is, if you've been saved, do you know why you were saved? And what are we doing with that? And if that's, a, if that's something that you can't answer yet, if you're here going, I don't know if I have been saved, I don't know I have, if I have chosen to follow Jesus, then today's a great day to make that decision. Why don't we stand together?